What's up, Fathom fam? Welcome to our weekly Sunday Sermon Podcast. As Pastor Kyle and Taryn are taking a time of sabbatical away from the campus and preaching to spend some intentional time with family and the Lord and get refreshed, they've been really intentional about setting us as a church body up for a time to continue growing even in their physical absence. We look forward to their return on August 8th, but get excited to be hearing until then from some of our other favorite pastors and leaders in our summer series called One. This is going to be a really special summer series where we'll keep on growing our faith and experiencing freedom in Christ as we receive from many voices the one cohesive message that God has given the church. Don't forget that you can follow us to stay up to date on everything going on at Fathom on Instagram or YouTube, our Facebook page, and our Fathom Family Facebook group, and of course, on the Church Center app. We hope to see you there, but for now, we're going to jump right into the message. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, This is the third time that I have been here. And uh, so if I return somewhere more than once, if they ask me to come back, then I just kind of treat you as my own. And so Mandy and I are honored to be here. It's good to have my beautiful wife, Mandy, with me today. As, uh, as Kyle and Taryn were saying on the video, we've known them for a long time. Um, we've known Kyle and Taryn for a long time. Uh, he did intern under me when he was finishing up at Lee University. He spent a summer with me there in, in Tampa when I was a youth pastor in Tampa. And uh, I've, I've known their parents, both of them. I've known their parents for a long, long time. And uh, I'm just excited to see what God continues to do here at Fathom. I'm happy that we get to be part of the extended family of Fathom. I know Mandy and I were here to speak at a marriage conference a few years ago. And, uh, and then I was here, man, it was in the early days of Fathom. Um, and, and I was here by myself on a Sunday morning. Um, I'm the Sabbath preacher. And so if you want to know who to blame um, for, for Kyle and him teaching Sabbath and all that, it's, it's me. It's me. Um, I, I am um, kind of known for preaching and teaching Sabbath, and, and I'm not going to do that to you today. Um, I kind of Sometimes I like a break from it, so, um, but uh, it, it is good to be here. I, I want to introduce you to my family. They're not here, but of course Mandy is here. On the right there in that picture is our daughter Kendall. Um, on the left, the tall redheaded kid, that is Caleb. They are twins. They are 23 years old. They, those are the only children that we have. I'll tell you, Kendall is a first grade teacher. She graduated from Lee University. She just completed her first year of teaching uh, first grade at Newberry Elementary, where she went to school. And, and so it's kind of full circle there. She is single. And for the for the right dowry, um, I'm taking applications. So there you go. She'd kill me. If she, no, she wouldn't. She, I say it at home. So uh, my son, Caleb, there, that is his beautiful wife, Mariah, with him. They've been married just over a year. Caleb is a grad assistant at University of Florida. He's a grad student there. Um, he works with Gator basketball. And so any of you that watch the Gator basketball team, you probably don't. But if you did, uh, you'll often see Caleb sitting uh somewhere near Coach White and, uh, and right behind him, usually holding a clipboard, ready to hand it to the coach. Uh, it's a glorified uh, water boy job is what it is. So, but he's finishing up. He's in his last year, about to start his last year there at UF. And uh, we're just excited. Mandy and I are blessed with a beautiful family. And um, uh, I was supposed to be here, and you mentioned this earlier to the huddle. Is that what we call it? The huddle team there. And... Um, I was supposed to be here earlier in the summer, and God just just was dealing with me on on a subject that I felt like I had to complete at at my church. And our associate pastor Andrew Petrush was supposed to be here today, and so Andrew and I were talking, and it was actually Andrew's idea. He said, "If you feel so strong about this, why don't you and I just switch dates?" And I, I said, "That's brilliant. Let me call." Kyle and find out. And Kyle, he, he was happy to oblige. And so you've already heard from our associate pastor at, at Destiny Community Church from DCC, Andrew Petrush. I'm sure Andrew did a fantastic job. He's a, he's a wonderful communicator and uh, we love him. Andrew and Deanna have been with us, well, really since day one. Um, they, they, Andrew is my right hand and I couldn't do it without him and, and I appreciate him so much. Um, 
But today, I do believe that that God has something. And man, you did such a great job of putting that up on the podium. But I'm I'm just going to put it over here. It's a, it's a which eyes work and and so forth. You know. Uh, today, I, I do want to bring a subject to you that I think the Lord would have me speak to you, and it's called singing in the pain, singing in the pain. And um, and I don't know who this is for. I don't know. It, it, I, I believe sometimes that God will have some of us endure a message just to reach one person in the room. But somebody in the room needs to hear this today. And, um, and, and if not for the season you're in, for the season that's coming. I think it's important for us to understand that. Um, if you want to experience a miracle in your life, I think it's important um, for you to realize that first there has to be a mess in your life. If there's not a mess in your life, you probably don't need a miracle. If everything's going good, you're, you know, you, you probably have no need of, of, of God intervening. But some of you, if, 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 if it's true, if you need a mess before you need a miracle, then some of you are like, sign me up, sign me up, because you're describing my family right now. We put the funk and dysfunctional, you know, so... And so you know who you are and all that. If your life, if your circumstance is not messed up, then you don't need that miracle. But if it is, you're in the right place because in the middle of all that mess, it's a breeding ground for miracles. It truly is. When we have disturbances in our life, when we're broken, when we're messed up, when something is missing, it, it, it's in those situations where the miracles are conceived. They're conceived in, in desperate times in our life, in, 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 in dire circumstances. That's where the miracles come forth. And today, without giving you just this huge intro, um, as I normally would to go into the Scripture, I just want us to go ahead and go to Acts chapter 16. And I do want to set it up for you just a little bit in Acts chapter 16. Um, we find Paul and Silas, they're in this, this tough situation. Paul and Silas, um, they're preaching the good news of Jesus in Philippi, which is a, a central city of Macedonia. It's, it's, a, it's a Roman colony. And things get rough when Paul uh, gets tired of this, this demon-possessed girl, this, this little girl that, that keeps following them around. And she keeps saying things like, these men are servants of the Most High. They're going to show you the way to salvation. And, and to us, when we just read it in black and white on paper, we think, oh, that's a good thing, you know. But the Bible is very plain that she's a demon-possessed girl. And if, if you have the gift of sarcasm, then you can definitely discern the, the gift of, of, of sarcasm, and, which I do. I have it. <laughs> and I, I can tell you the devil's never going to pro- proclaim truth without it coming across sarcastically. And so know this. This little girl is not walking around lobbying for the kingdom of God. She's not there promoting what Paul and Silas are doing. She is definitely allowing the enemy to use her to speak sarcastically of, look at these men. They are servants of the Most High God. They are going to show you the way to salvation. You know, and so it's, it's very, very sarcastic. Paul gets tired of it. She's following them everywhere they go. And, and after a few days, Paul's just like, I had enough of this. And so Paul goes over to her and he's like, in the name of Jesus, demon come out. You know, he's, he's done with it and he casts the demon out of her, which is, is Paul fashion. I mean, that's just the way kind of like Paul operated. That's, that's the way he was. And so it, it, it sounds like this amazing story, you know, like, like, man, he had so much power operating in his life that he was able to cast the demon out of this girl, get rid of the problem, not only for him and, and Silas, but, but also the problem that was in her life. And so it sounds like this beautiful, beautiful picture, but, but really what, what it does is it opens this can of worms and things go from bad to worse. And, and, and she was a slave girl. We know this because of the scriptures and, and, and the part we're not going to read. You can read it later on your own, but, but the scripture tells us she was a slave girl and these men that owned her, that they would use her and the, and the devil working through her, Satan operating through her, to tell fortunes. She could, she could tell the, the future of an individual, and so they were making money off of this girl. Uh, really, it, this is a form of prostitution, if you will. She is, she is, they're using her to make money. And, and, and the slave owners, obviously, they get angry. They get upset with, with Paul and Silas because Paul cast the demon out of this girl. And... And they form this mob to come, and, and they're, they're really upset with Paul and Silas. And that's where I want to pick it up. At, at Acts chapter 16, um, let's start with verse 19. Verse 19. 
It said, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. And the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. That's what they say. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. And, and what you have to understand about that phrase right there, or what they just said, is they're making this a racial issue. Now, this is not a message on race and reconciliation and all that, but I want you to understand what's happening here because Paul and Silas both are Roman citizens. They are Jews, but they are Roman citizens. And, and, and so when they make this statement, they are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. It's a, it's a racial issue. Verse 22 says, A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. I have this friend that he says, if you're having a bad day, just go and put on the movie Deliverance, and your day will suddenly get better. And for those of you that have never seen the movie, I don't suggest you watching this movie, but it was a bad day for those guys. And so your day, just from watching the movie, you're like, my life is not that bad. I would say, if you're having a bad day, go, go read Acts chapter 16. Because this is a bad day. This, this sermon was birthed just a couple of weeks ago out of, out of um, our vacation Bible school that we were hosting at our church. And, and one of the nights that a vacation Bible school, I, I walked into the main sanctuary where some of our, um, our team leaders and some of our volunteers were putting on a skit for, for the Bible lesson. And, and they were acting this part out right here about Paul and Silas being in prison. And, and they did a great job of presenting it to the children in the room. It needed to stay lighthearted. It was comical. It was kind of a sketch comedy type thing. And, 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 and so it was good. They were you know, singing in prison. You know, that's, it was a, it's a beautiful thing. But the truth is, that's not how it was at all. It, wasn't, it, it was really a, 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 tough, a tough situation that Paul and Silas find themselves in. Think about this. They are, they are beaten. They are bloody, bruised, and then the jailer takes them, and because they don't want them to escape, they throw them not just into jail, not to where you, know, you have windows that you're looking out of, holding onto the bars, looking out, and you can see the outside. The Bible says that they threw them into the inner dungeon. They're under the jail. There's no chance of them escaping out of... Out of so this is really a, a bad situation, church. You've got to understand that. And, and they're accused of being unlawful. The mob forms against them. They're stripped of their clothes publicly. They, they are now nude, naked, in the jail. We don't picture it this way, but that's how it is. And, and then they're severely beaten with these wooden rods thrown into prison. And, and, and the, these are tough times for them. But if you're honest with me, and, 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 and just stay with me just for a moment, most of our problems that we face in life are self-induced. Okay, I didn't expect any amens right there. I mean, G.I. Joe used to say knowing is half the battle. Just you need to admit this to yourself, okay? Most of our problems in life, they're self-induced. Uh, choices have consequences. Uh, it, it originated, these problems originate because of something that we did. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Uh, fin your finances are, are just in a mess. I mean, they are in a mess. And, and it's not necessarily that, that Satan has caused this. Maybe the temptation that he threw your way caused you, but, but you're not living within your means. That's what caused it. And I think sometimes Satan is getting all the blame for this, and he's sitting over there going, no, you're doing a good job right by yourself. I don't have to lift a finger. You've got this covered. Okay, maybe that doesn't relate to you, but, but, but your boss doesn't like you very much. Don't say amen, because this gets bad, okay? Your boss doesn't like you very much, but there's a reason why your boss doesn't like you very much, because you have a terrible work ethic, you're always late, and you take two-hour lunches. Okay, you can't relate to that. I, I understand. Your children, your children are just wild, crazy, and unruly. <laughs> And, and the truth is, it's hard to have a stable home when your schedule doesn't give you time to actually be at home. But that's not you. That's not who I'm talking to right now, obviously. Your marriage is in trouble. 
And it's so easy to blame the devil on this, right? It's so easy to, to point fingers and say, this is, this is the enemy of my soul. This is his fault. No, the truth is your marriage is in trouble because you're a jerk. Oh, let's move on. Let's move on. And what I have figured out about these self-induced problems in life is that I can usually fix these problems on my own. If it's self-induced, I can usually fix it on my own. It won't be immediately. It, it, you never fix problems as quick as you make them. You, you've noticed that, right? You never fix problems as quick as you make them. Usually it takes a lot more time because, you know, it, it takes a long time for trust to be rebuilt. It takes a long time for your finances to recover. You might have to go through a bankruptcy to get your finances back to where they need to be. You see what I'm saying? But if I made the mess, then, then I have figured out in my own life that I can usually, usually, maybe not always, maybe if it's too big that for me to handle, God needs to intervene. But usually if I made the mess, I can fix the mess. But then there are those moments of injustice. When you did absolutely nothing to cause the problem. You were living life the way you're supposed to live life. You go to church. You say your bedtime prayers. You give in the offering. You're doing everything you're supposed to do. But yet the rug is pulled out from underneath you and you find yourself in a mess. That's where we find Paul and Silas. This is that moment, that season of injustice. You've been there. Some of you were there right now. It's that moment where you find yourself in a situation that you don't deserve. You, 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 you did nothing to earn it, but yet you're there anyway. Paul and Silas, they find themselves naked, beaten, bruised, bloody, doing what God called them to do, <clears throat> but yet their life is still messy in that moment. And it's scary to think that you can be a good Christian doing what you're supposed to do and still find yourself in a desperate place. Last year, like for most of us, it, it, it was a tough year for me. Tough year. My wife will attest to this. Hardest year of my life. And there were a few moments last year I wasn't sure I was going to make it. I stand here today as a testimony to God's grace and, and, and His strength, His mercy. But you just have to understand that last year was just the most trying year of my life. We, we were a portable church for almost 12 years. Setting up and tearing down every Sunday, every Wednesday, just portable, portable church, growing church too, but portable. We had been in a building project for over three years. Everything that could possibly go wrong with a building project went wrong. I'm not kidding. It was supposed to take nine months to a year to build this building. It took three years for them to build this building. This, this right here, all of this right here, this was all just, just black. And just over three years' time, all the gray. I was looking at some of the speakers you've had come over the summer, and, and some of them, they're like, you know, spiritual brothers to, to Kyle. Some of them are, you know, crazy uncles of Fathom Church. That's what they are. And I, I looked at, at the list, and I think I'm the, I'm the grandfather. <laughs> I don't know if there's anyone older than me that's going to be speaking, but, but um, that's where I feel like I am. But I'm telling you, it, last year aged me. Tough year. There's people that, that I love and listen. It, maybe this is therapeutic for me today. Maybe, I, maybe you're here for me, okay? Because there's certain things that I'm, I'm going to say right now that I won't even say at my own church because it, it, it just wouldn't be productive. But I need you to understand that sometimes you find yourself in a position that you don't want to be in. There's people that I love that I have done life with for years, some of them up to a decade. That, I mean, there's no other way to say it. They just went dumb during COVID. And, and listen, I don't, I don't know <clears throat> any of you. I don't, I don't know any of you very well. <clears throat> but and, and Kyle and I have not talked about this at all. So I don't know what y'all have gone through or anything. But I had people on both ends of the spectrum. I had people that I loved dearly that told me when we did open up after a 10-week shutdown, that because we put our volunteers in masks, that they were leaving our church. 
We only had volunteers in mass for two weeks. But people I love and I've done life with and I've, I've, I've preached funerals for them and their, their loved ones and, and, and we've just, we've done, I've watched them walk away and, and then there were people on the other end of the spectrum that said, uh, no, you opened up too soon and, and you should have never opened up and, and, and they, they just left and, and we're, we're sitting there going, what, what's going on? There was no grace, there was no mercy during some of that season. I'm going, God, I didn't ask for this. I mean, I couldn't predict COVID. And none of us had navigated any of this. How, how, why, Lord? Why am I going through this? In the middle of all that, <clears throat> my wife and I were supposed to be in Hawaii last August, August of 2020, for our 25th wedding anniversary. August 12th. It's our 25th wedding anniversary, and we had been saving for for a couple of years to, to go to Hawaii. It was going to be the trip of a lifetime. Three islands and just, you know, three days here, three days here, three days here. It was just going to be a great trip. Had it all planned out. It was booked, everything. And obviously, the COVID, we had to, we had to cancel that trip. It is what it is, okay? But still, August 12th was coming around. I knew we needed to do something for our anniversary, right? My wife, my wife loves the beach. She does. She loves the beach. My wife can step foot on the beach today. She could walk, she could go to Jacksonville Beach. And, and she could step foot on that beach and find a shark's tooth. That is just, it's a gift in her life. It's a spiritual gift in her life, finding a shark's tooth. She's good at it. She's good. I hate the beach. I hate the beach. Mountains. You, you, my, my dream vacation is the mountains. I want to go to the mountains. My wife loves the beach. I don't like the beach. You know where this is heading. I don't like the beach because sand gets in places it's not supposed to and all that. And so I just, I hate the beach. I just, I do. But, but it was our 25th wedding anniversary. We need to do something. We can't go far. So let's go to St. Augustine. Got a condo in St. Augustine. And we got there on Tuesday. We're going to be there for the rest of the week. Got there on Tuesday. We went to dinner that night. The next morning we get up, we go out to the beach. Mandy had a great time. <laughs> As, as I endured the beach, and, and we, we came back to the condo around lunchtime. And that's when I got the phone call. That my father, who had been in an assisted living facility for the past five years, for the last five and a half months, I had not been able to visit him because of COVID restrictions. My father had Alzheimer's. Retired pastor, great man of God. And I got the phone call on August 12, 2020, our anniversary, that my dad was about to die, and if I wanted to see him, I needed to get there quickly. And we were 30 minutes too late. And I just remember... I just remember looking up to heaven and just saying, God, why? What else can happen to me this year? Why? I mean, I pay my tithe. I pray. I didn't kill some morons that I wanted to kill this year. You know, I showed grace. Why, God? Why? And what I have figured out about God, and you can't figure out much about God, and actually in my statement you'll realize I haven't figured anything out about God. But what I have figured out is that God is sovereign. And what that means is I know nothing about God because His ways are so much higher than mine. And God doesn't have to explain the whys in life because God's got this big picture of, of where my life is heading and what it looks like, of where your life is heading and what it looks like. And he doesn't have to explain to us all the details of all of that because God is sovereign and his ways are perfect. And, 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 and I just remember going, God, I don't see your hand in all this, but think with me because time reveals all things. I, I believe that. And, and, and just think with me if Mandy and I would have been in Hawaii on the day my dad died. You talk about hard choices to be made. I mean, the, the, it's thousands of dollars if you haven't checked it out. It's thousands of dollars to go to Hawaii. It would have been money wasted. We had to have an emergency flight back home or I would have missed my dad's funeral and just not come home. 
because that was at the beginning of the week. But by God's sovereignty, I was right where God wanted me to be. We came home. The next day I hit the ground running. My, my mom was in no place to go to a funeral home and start planning the, 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 the funeral. Let me put it this way. Let me explain to you why my mom was in no place. And I thank God my mom is not watching your live stream. And, and I've been tried to be careful at home anytime I preach about something like this. But, but let me tell you, my mom and my oldest brother, they gave away. My dad was a pastor. He had suits, ties, everything. They gave away all of it. They donated it all, just, get, just got rid of everything. And so when it was time for me to go to the funeral home to plan my dad's service so that my mom wouldn't have to, and I'll, I'll deal with everything. I'll plan the whole thing. Let me look at his suits. We don't have any. What? Mom said, oh, you can just rent them at the, at the funeral home. You can rent a suit? <laughs> what, we're going to give it back? You know, how does this work? How does, how does this work? I was like, no, Mom, you can't. You can't just rent a suit. So I went to my closet. I got my black funeral suit. One of my shirts and one of my ties. And I took it to the funeral home and I planned my dad's service. Three days later, I stood on the stage in our brand new sanctuary. We've only been in there one year. Last month, one year. So we'd only been in there a couple of months. And I stood on the stage and I preached my dad's service four days after he died. God's sovereignty. St. Augustine is not where I wanted to be. Hawaii? Waves, volcanoes, mountains, and beaches. It's like the perfect, you know, that's where I wanted to be. But God said, no, 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 no. I can't have you over there when your family's going to need you the most. You need to be where I have. And that's the thing about, about what God does in our lives. Sometimes God puts us where he needs you so that his power can work through you. And if you try and circumvent that, you will mess up God's plan for your life. You have to be available and, and realize God's got me here, right here in this moment, in this location, for this moment, for such a time as this. This is where God has me. Sometimes God just puts you where you don't want to be. And you don't have to get it. You don't have to understand it. But in, in, in time, God is going to make it all plain to you. I promise you. Romans 8 and 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. You hear that? All things. Somebody say all. All things. All things. You, have you ever looked up that word all in the Greek? It means all, like all, everything, all things, all things. He says, I'm going to work out all things. For those of you that are called according to my purpose, if you're walking in my will, everything, all things are going to work out. So whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whatever shackles you find yourself in, if you find yourself in change, if you find yourself in bondage, if you find yourself in a situation that doesn't look right, doesn't look like what you had planned, it's not what you would have written for your life, just, just, just be okay with it because all things, all things are going to work out for the good for those who are called according to His purpose. And sometimes we miss out on the miracle because we forget to praise Him when it's raining. When the storms of life are coming, we, we just refuse to praise. We, we, just, we stick our feet in the mud and we just want to get down in the mully grubs. You know what the mully grubs are, right? We just get down in the mully grubs. We would just rather be depressed than, than, than to be victorious. And, and, and we have to move past that. Listen to this. we got to move on. Acts chapter 16, continuing with this story of Paul and Silas, verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Let me tell you what's happening in this moment. Paul and Silas are singing in the pain. Remember their condition. No clothes. They're in shackles. They're in stocks. They are beaten, bloody, and bruised. And we find them in that moment, in, in a painful situation, singing in the pain. It, it's like, God, 
there's nothing else for us to do here. So what we're going to do is we're just going to sing. We're, we're just going to lift up the name of Jesus. And so it got me thinking, what, what were they singing? This is the way my mind works. I just want to know, what were they, the Bible doesn't make us privy to that. What were they singing? And, and if we're not careful, we will allow the circumstances of life to dictate the playlist of our life. And that's where we've got to be careful. Because I'm afraid if I'm Paul and Silas and, 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 and I'm in prison, I'm in an undeserved situation, my playlist is it's probably going to look something like, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Yeah, for some of you, it, 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 it just kind of gets to an angry point. You're like, love stinks. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no. I bust the windows out your car, you know. Oh, that's the one you know. Okay. That's, that's how we allow circumstances to dictate the playlist. And, and, and we just get caught up in all the emotions of all that because we're so disappointed with life. And, and we don't know exactly what song Paul and Silas were singing, but we do know this, that it was a, a hymn for God. It was a hymn to God is what it was. In, in, in verse 25, it says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were singing hymns to Him. And, and so maybe it was something like this. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Maybe they were singing something like, you can do all things but fail. You've never lost a battle. Maybe that was it. Or maybe it was something like, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Well, actually, it should have been more like, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. You know? Singing in the pain. They took that moment and instead of just, just wallowing in their sorrow, they were singing praise to God in the, in, in the toughest situation of their, of their life up to that moment. They were just willing to sing. And, and, and it got me to think in church, we've got to be willing, you know, why whine when you can worship? Why, why pout when you can praise, right? That's where got to get to in life that's what we've got to understand because your worship is a weapon no you don't believe that do you your worship is a weapon listen listen to second corinthians 10 and 4 we use god's mighty weapons not worldly weapons worldly weapons are 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 the anger worldly weapons is, is that that's when you just let it just bring you into a depression that's that's what the enemy uses to attack you. no we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. What false arguments? You see, when you find yourself in an injustice, in a prison that, that you didn't create, you'll start believing the lies if you're, careful, if you're not careful. And, and these weapons, that, these mighty weapons of God, our praise, our worship, the Bible just told us that they will destroy false arguments. So the things that we start believing that the enemy starts just, just putting into our minds, we don't allow them to dwell there because when we worship, when we praise God, it pulls those strongholds down and we destroy false arguments. And I think sometimes we underestimate the power of our praise. We got married in 1995. Just a few months later, in 1996, my wife was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. It, it had never been diagnosed before, and they had to treat it uh, experimental. They said it, the cells looked something like Hodgkin's disease, but, but we're just going to have to, to treat it and see how it responds. During that time, I remember after we found out there was a tumor, I believe we went home that Friday. And the next week she'd have to go in the hospital for surgery. We went home and Mandy reminded me of this, this story this week. We were sitting at home and we put the CD on. A CD is something that you had before iTunes. <laughs> and we, we used to make those jokes when I was a youth pastor about cassette tapes. And 
If I said eight track, none of you know what I'm talking about. There's only like three in the room, yeah. We put the CD on by this um, father-son duo, contemporary Christian music. The name was, I, I doubt anybody's going to know who they are, but Aaron Jeffrey. And there was a song on their first album that really ministered to us during that time. And, and, and we played it at home when they found the tumor. And then the next week in the hospital, it just stayed on repeat in, in the hospital room. We just kept a, a, a little radio just playing it over and over and over. But in this song by, by Aaron Jeffrey, it's called After the Rain. Listen to the words of this song. It says, I cover my heart, turn from the wind, button my coat, here comes the storm again. What can I do but to trust in Him? Because I know the deeper my faith runs, the stronger I become, and the thunder, it may shake me, but I always know that after the rain, you can look to the sky again. The clouds will give way to the light of the sun. After the rain, you know that you've made it through, and you'll finally see the joy from the pain after the rain. My wife got to a place in, in her worship during that time that if anybody walked into her hospital room and they were speaking in, with a negative report, she would ask them to leave the room. Don't come to visit my wife in the hospital and, and, and be like, oh, bless your little heart. You, you don't deserve it. No, Mandy would ask you to leave because we were holding on to some promises. And during that time, the greatest weapon that we had was our praise to God, our worship of God. We had to praise our way through that storm. It is a weapon. And we'll continue. We've got to finish this up. Acts 16, verse 27. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here! The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul in silence. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Simply because they didn't escape. Suddenly, the testimony of their life is telling a story to this jailer. And he asked them, he, he didn't say, why didn't you run away? Why didn't you escape? He looks at them and says, what do I have to do to be saved? Verse 31 says, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into the house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. But Paul replied, now listen, I do not suggest you do this, okay? Paul, I don't know if he was anointed or arrogant, but, but Paul had these moments in his own ministry. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. I would have been hightailing it out of Dodge. I'm gone, right? You get these shackles off. I'm out of here. Paul says, no, I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. Tell them to come here. Verse 38, when the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. Now listen to this. That, that, that's pretty much the story there, but, but listen to me. Not only is your worship a weapon, but your, your worship is a witness. And I need everybody to listen to me here. Your worship is a witness. It tells a story. Revelation tells us, Revelation chapter 12, I believe it tells us, that we overcome Satan, the accuser of the brethren. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, what Christ did for you, and the word of our testimony. And it's not just the individual that's sharing the testimony that overcomes Satan. It, it, it's, it's the church. We overcome Satan every time we hear someone testify of the saving power of Jesus Christ and what he's done in their lives. Your worship is a testimony unto God. 
And, and there's people that are watching. There's people that, that are witness, witnessing this. Uh, listen, Acts 16 and 25, around midnight, we're going back in the story. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. So the other people who are bound in shackles, they are listening to them sing. Then we know that the jailer and his whole family, they all got to witness this too, and they all were, were saved. They were all baptized. Other prisoners are watching. The jailer and his family are watching. And, 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 and church, you've got to understand people are watching you. The way you respond to adversity, people are watching. They want to see how we respond to life's trials. And so we have to understand that, that your, your children are watching. Parents, understand this. Your children are watching. Mandy and I, we were having a conversation on the way over here this morning, and, and, and we, we so badly, we want parents to understand that, that you don't have to settle in life when raising your kids. Listen, I'm going to get off track here for a moment, but I just feel led to say something here. It's, it's almost a soapbox, right? I could stand here. Listen, don't settle for, for this lie. Well, kids are kids, and they're just going to make mistakes. I made mistakes. They need to make mistakes. Mandy and I refuse to settle for that. We refuse to settle for that. Raising our children, our twins, we wanted them to have a closer relationship with God than what we have, and we help facilitate that. And I can tell you, both of my kids, they're at, home, at our home church right now. They are serving God this morning. My son is running sound. My daughter is on the praise team. I'm telling you, they are serving God this morning. Our children watch. My kids have watched how me and their mother have, have responded to life's trials, life situations. My, my kids have seen enough that they could hate the church and hate Christianity because sometimes it's just hard living in a pastor's home. But through it all, we have just learned to operate with grace and mercy because sometimes, don't take any offense to this, please don't. Sometimes sheep are dumb. Sometimes sheep are dumb. And, 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 and as shepherds, we just got to pull them along. But sometimes I'm a sheep. I am. I'm, I'm a sheep in his pasture, and sometimes I'm dumb. And so when you realize that about yourself, it helps you offer and extend grace and mercy to others. And we have done that in our household, and, and, and we have just want, uh, allowed our kids to watch us respond to life's trials and watch us praise and worship God through all of it. Sing in your pain. I'll tell you what, if the band wants to come on up, I'm, I'm going to bring this thing to a close. Last week, I was part of a memorial service for a good friend. Just a few days earlier, stepping off a stage after performing a wedding ceremony, and I to I stepped into the the reception, and my wife pulled me aside and she told me something that that I'm telling you, it's just been a rough year. But she told me something that rocked me when she looked at me and told me that my friend Sean had had a relapse and he overdosed and was dead. This is a young man that 10 years earlier, after his brother, his younger brother had overdosed, his mom introduced me to him at a festival that we, we had set up a, a booth for our church at this festival. And I put him in a golf cart and we went to the back of the parking lot away from everybody else. And I listened to him and the guilt and the shame that he had in his own life after introducing his younger brother to drugs and now his younger brother was dead. And I helped navigate him to a relationship with Christ as we just took that guilt and that shame, which by the way, that's, that's from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you live in guilt, shame, and, and, and blame and all that, that's the wrong tree. Tree of life living is where we're at. And I, I helped him navigate his life back into the tree of life and find forgiveness. And for the next few years, he was a vital part of our church and I mentored him and, and poured into him. And we moved back to Boston. He did good for a while and, and led so many people to Jesus. He, he, he went through the, the, the um, teen adult and teen challenge uh, uh, in, in Massachusetts. And then he later was hired by them. And, and there's hundreds of people that he led out of addiction and, and into a relationship with Christ. But then he got back in the construction world and, and he got back on the pills. And his life spiraled. And I should have known something because the last six months I, I, I had not really heard from him. And Mandy tells me, Sean's dead. 
I knew immediately I had to go. I had to go to the funeral. And they asked me to speak at the funeral and I flew up just, just two weeks ago. I flew up to Boston and when I walked into the to the church where they were having the funeral that he had, he had attended some, it reminded me a lot of our days in the middle school just a year earlier because they were meeting in a school auditorium. There's a stage and theater seats and they had all their portable equipment on the stage and that's where they were having his funeral. And I'm sitting on the front row and I'm waiting for my moment to go up and there's a, a, a small band, a praise team. There's one guy on the keyboard and he's singing, another guy playing acoustic guitar and he's singing, another girl, she's singing. And they're singing through some worship songs, but they get to this song. And when they started singing this song, my heart just sank in my chest. Because they started singing, He's a good, good Father. It's who you are. And the reason why it bothered me so much is because I'm sitting on the front row and I look and his mom, Casket's here, and his mom is right there, his mom and his stepdad and his, all of his family. And his mom is right in front of her son's casket. He's 42 years old. Second son in 10 years that she's buried. And they start singing this song and I look over and I'm like, oh my God, how, how, why? Why are y'all doing this song? Why? How can she sing it's a, he's a good, good father when her son, her second son is laying in a casket dead right in front of her? How? And I'm finding myself getting angry almost. Like, poor choice of songs. How do you expect this mother to, to proclaim he's a good, good father? Her son is gone. And then it happened. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. She stood up. Her name is Cheryl. Cheryl stood up and she raised both hands to heaven. And she began praising God, saying, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. In the middle of her pain, in the hardest storm of her life, she is singing, you're a good, good father. And when she did, the entire room started standing. People worshiping, and it was beautiful. It was so tragic and beautiful at the same time. Room full of people, hundreds of people. And when the salvation call was given, there was one person that raised their hand. I found out last Saturday that one of his aunts, who, who was so far from God, when, when she was introduced to me before the, before the funeral the night before, his stepdad actually looked at her and said, this is the pastor I was telling you about being your best behavior. Far from God. And I just found out a week ago that she was the one that raised her hand and said, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. This is what happens when we sing in the pain. Not only is worship a weapon, but it's a witness. It's a witness. And some of you might be going through pain right now. It might be the hardest moment of your life. And, and if, if it is, then this, is, this was for you. But here's what I know. I, I know that there's more storms coming. Jesus told us that. He promised us that, that in this life, there's going to be problems. There's going to be trouble. What we do during those moments makes a difference. Understand this, church. We don't worship our way to victory. We worship from a place of victory. Jesus has already conquered. Jesus is already victorious. We, we don't have to worship just, just to gain victory. No, 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 no. We're worshiping from His victory. 
greater is He who is within me than He who is in the world. We've been made more than conquerors. I don't know what being more than a conqueror looks like. I don't know how to define that. But that's who we are. And the storms are coming. But child of God, be ready. Because when the storms hit, your job is to simply praise, not pout. Worship, don't whine. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share your word. You are so faithful, Lord, to inhabit praises. And God, I know that that's, that's where the victory comes from. Is that when we start praising you, you inhabit those praises. And so whatever storm we find ourselves in, whatever prison we find ourselves in, whatever season of injustice we are in, Lord, when we lift up the name of Jesus and we start singing of, of, of his praise and of his, of his glory, Lord, when we start magnifying you, you fill that place, that this room, Lord, you, you do that. And so we invite you through our praise into our storm. And it's there, Lord, in those storms of life where you part the seas. It's there, Lord, where, where you allow us to walk on water with you, Lord. It's in the storms of life, Lord, where you step to the, to the front of the boat, Lord, and you calm the winds and the waves, Lord. That's what happens. And so in the next few moments, Lord, we just lift up our voices to you. We lift up our hands to you. And we invite you through our praise to inhabit, Lord, Come into these storms of life. We will sing in the middle of the pain, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, we want to celebrate with you. To connect with us about what your next step with Jesus might be, or even if you need help figuring that out, you can text the keyword FATHOM to 97000 anytime and follow the prompts. You can also go ahead and type in the search bar of your podcast app, Fathom Beyond Sunday, and there you'll find our new podcast. You'll be able to listen in on some really great conversations, just taking the truth of God's word from our Sunday sermon a step further, talking about how we can apply these truths to our everyday lives between Monday and Saturday, not just on Sunday. We love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.